strangers scattered, the diaspora, those that have had to leave home, family, be uprooted, and out they go into the ungodly world, and there Christians are to exercise this Christian unity. We are to be of one mind. So all are included. Finally, be ye all of one mind. What an application. It applies to me. It applies to you tonight. Welcome to Let the Bible Speak. This is Ian Gallagher, and today we move along with First Peter chapter 3, and we're looking at genuine Christian unity. There is a false unity in the world today, seeking to build a one-world religion, seeking to accomplish some kind of syncretism, bringing all the religions of the world. That is the work of Antichrist, to try and dominate the religions of the world against the true Christ. But there is in the church of the Lord Jesus a true Christian unity. And we want to look at that today in our Bible message. Firstly, we begin just with a few thoughts from the book of Psalms, Psalm 19. Psalm 19 begins with, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth his handiwork. But it ends with these wonderful, wonderful devotional words. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. And so we want to just take a look at this wonderful psalm, and we focus on this word, meditation, as it is our personal response to the revelation of God. This word, hagion, is a musical notation to mark solemnity or a solemn sound. God looks for our meditations. He is interested in our thoughts. For as a man thinketh, so is he. While a sinner's heart is worse than his outward appearance, the Christian is better in heart than his outward walk. The Christian wills to do, but laments his shortcomings. The Christian pictures the ideal standard of true godliness, but he has to groan that he keeps missing the mark. The man who is concerned that his meditation be acceptable to God is certainly on the path to true worship. Our meditations must be filled with truth. And this is the lesson of Psalm 19. In this psalm, you have what the Christian thinks about creation and God's revelation in creation. Man was created to walk upright on two feet so he could look upward and worship God by viewing his glory in the heavens. And this is the reality that the Christian lives by, and we recognize God's handiwork all around us. The design of the world, the power that created such beauty, such magnificent uh, vistas of mountains, oceans, prairies, uh, the farmland, the forests, the flora and fauna, the flowers, and the little insects, all are a great testimony to the wonders of our Creator. And we, yes, we as human beings are God's creatures. He is the Creator, and we are made by Him for His glory. And, of course, we 
meditate aright, our thoughts are right, when we give glory to God as our Creator. We have also in this Psalm 19 what the Christian thinks about God's law. In verse 7 he says, The law of the Lord is perfect. God has two methods of revelation. Creation is the primer, which calls all men to worship God, and the Scriptures is God's final revelation. The creation causes us to ask questions, but the Bible gives us the answers. One page of the Bible is worth more than millions of acres of creation, because the Bible is God's special revelation. And to the saint, the Scriptures are restorative. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. And then also, the Scriptures are instructive. They make wise the simple. In verse 8, they are affirmative. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. They are motivating. They motivate us to uh, purity and to seeking the knowledge of God. As judgments, they are corrective. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous together. Now, with these meditations, the believer is ready to pray with acceptable words and thoughts. He will pray best who knows God's word best. Thomas Brooks said that if we would have God hear us in prayer, we must listen to him when he speaks. We also have in this psalm what the Christian thinks about sin and what the Christian thinks about his Redeemer. The psalm ends, O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. And there, of course, is the way to have your meditations made acceptable through the redeeming work the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ as our sacrifice for sin. So stay tuned with us today as we turn now to our message, and I trust the Lord will speak to your heart from 1 Peter chapter 3 on true Christian unity. Well, we're coming to First uh, Peter chapter 3 and the verse 8. The verse 8, let me read the verse again firstly, finally. Be ye all of one mind, having compassion, one of another, love us, brethren, be pitiful, be courteous. In this section, we come to commence here tonight. We have a key word that stands out. You'll find it here in this verse 10, uh, good days, verse 11, do good, verse 13, that we be followers of that which is good. Verse 16, a good conscience. And verse 16 again, your good conversation in Christ. Christianity has done untold good in the world. It has brought heathendom into a state of blessing and good. And yet what a tragedy that many look upon Christianity as the evil, and they now call good evil and evil good. And it is in the midst of this hostility to the goodness of God 
and the grace that he gives to enable us as God's people to do good, that we are called uh, to function in the world. In verse 9, you'll notice not rendering evil for evil or railing for railing, but contrariwise blessing. And so in the midst of this world, God's desire, God's burden is that you be a blessing, a blessing to all around you. And so Peter lays down certain maxims for blessing, that these Christians may indeed enjoy good days, that they may do good, that they may have a good conscience, and that they may have a good walk with the Lord. You will note that his theme is unity. We're going to talk tonight about Christian unity, real, biblical, spiritual, heart-to-heart unity in the Lord Jesus. Now, in verse 8, he starts with finally. The word finally here really means in conclusion. He is uh, summing up. He's building upon what he has already been exhorting uh, throughout the earlier verses and chapters. And so his inclusion here, you'll notice, finally be all, all, all who? Well, he's been speaking in verse 8 about, verse 7, husbands. Verse 1, wives. Prior to that, in chapter 2, it was servants, saints, pilgrims, those who are a royal generation. And way back in chapter 1, verse 2, God's elect those that are called into grace. And then he refers to them in chapter 1, verse 1, strangers scattered, the diaspora, those that have had to leave home, family, be uprooted, and out they go into the ungodly world, and there Christians are to exercise this Christian unity. We are to be of one mind. So all are included. Finally, be ye all of one mind. What an application. It applies to me. It applies to you tonight. Every one of us, everyone who names the name of the Lord and calls himself a Christian is called to exercise the mandate of Christian unity, loving our brothers and our sisters in the Lord Jesus. I came across this quote, and uh, I want to give it to you in its full quote, just two lines and one short little page here. Uh, but it's not mine, but it's true. Listen to this. The controversies among Christians have effectually impeded the progress of the gospel more than the controversies from outside Christianity. And sometimes those controversies have been over petty, foolish, childish things. Those things where Christians could not see eye to eye and have caused division and hurt and scattered the work of God. And then there are those times when controversy and division is absolutely essential to guard the testimony of the church. 
to deal with troublemakers, and to ensure that the testimony of the Lord's name is kept pure. And down through the history of the church, you look at the, 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 the tree of Christianity in all its various branches, and you will find that there has been division upon division upon division. And yet here, in the first century, Peter exhorts unity, unity. That's the mandate. That's the call of every one of God's people. It's very important, and it's something we all need. And especially when we're under pressure and under trial, we need to know how to behave. What, is, what are these maxims? Well, there's uh, several of them. I think we'll only get dealing with three here tonight in this verse 8. The first one is to be of one mind. Unity of mind. It simply means to be in harmony. It is a very common instruction that is given in just about every book of the New Testament. Again and again and again you have this command, exhortation, to love one another, be kind one to the other. You know the verses that I'm thinking of. And over and over again you have this exhortation. Now, is it realistic? Or is it just idealistic? If you were to give two preachers the same text, they'd probably come up with two different kinds of sermons. That just shows you we don't all think alike. And we come to the same data, the same information, and we look at it different ways. Uh, and that's something that, that marvels us. You can go to Mr. Spurgeon's sermon on a text, and you will see how he handles it. You go to Mr. Whitfield or some of the other preachers, and you'll find that they get completely different lines of thought. All true, all seeking to be faithful to the Bible, but there's not two of us here tonight that think exactly the same. Two different pastors in congregations, and they will have personality differences. They will have different ways of seeking to be faithful to God and to their people. They will approach problems somewhat differently, and they will have a, a different emphasis on different things. Two elders can be in the same meeting, looking at the same problem, and yet come up with shades of remedies that are different. And so there needs to be a meeting of minds. And this be ye all of one mind is not so easy. It's not as surface easy as you would think. And so you have this exhortation. How is it possible? Let me give you five helps. Firstly, we need to give preeminence to the scriptures. There's going to be any meeting of minds here tonight. There's going to be a unity of mind. Every one of us needs to give preeminence to the Bible. Where the Bible speaks clearly, we everyone bow in submission and say, God has spoken on this. God has given his mind. 
And if that's God's mind on the matter, that also needs to be my mind. So there's preeminence to the written word of God, whereby we will agree on the major fundamentals where God has clearly spoken on doctrine and practice. Then we need to confess our fallibility in interpreting all things. That keeps us humble. Uh, that keeps us from a spirit of pride. We're saying, well, I know and you don't. We need to realize that there are times that we could be wrong. There are times when we have added two, to, two and two together and we didn't get four. We are fallible. The Bible is infallible. But man is prone to error. And that's why the Bible says that there is safety in numbers, in counselors. And it's wise for Christians to take certain things to a brother or a group of brethren and say to them, well, let's put our minds together. Let's see if we can come up with what is accurate in this. And, and, and as, as we look at things together, we may come to a proper mind on the matter. Thirdly, we need to follow the principle that we're going to obey God rather than men. That's very important in church work, in church life. Uh, if we're going to have one mind, then we're going to obey God rather than men. If God has spoken, I will not only agree, but I will obey. And I'll put... God's mind and God's word firstly. We also need an honesty in seeking God's mind through the word. An honesty. Um, in our adult class, we listened to Dr. Barrett this morning, and he said it's very difficult to come to the Bible with an open mind. Now, sometimes we all come with ideas already preconceived and preformed, and we need an honesty. We need an openness that we will seek to handle that word faithfully. And to do this, and to grow in this as a congregation, we need to worship together and pray together. There is a growing process in seeking to be of one mind. If you turn back to Philippians 3.15, you will find that uh, the Apostle Paul wanted the Philippians to do this. He says, Let us therefore, as many as be perfect, that means pure or mature, uh, let us therefore, as many as be perfect, be thus minded. This is Philippians 3.15. And if in anything ye be otherwise minded. So here's a divergence of opinion. What do we do? God shall reveal this unto you. So there is a dependency now on the leading of the Holy Spirit. And the church and brethren unite together in earnest prayer, seeking the mind of God. That's growing. That's maturity. And that will lead to unity. If you look at verse 16, nevertheless... Whereto we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule. Let us mind the same thing. 
And so this is all about this unity of mind. The bottom line is this. You can't walk into a church as a, you know, someone first time in the church and expect immediately to be of the same mind of everybody in the church. There's going to be a divergence. You come with preconceived ways and ideas from your past. I come with uh, my position. And it, it takes time for brethren to fellowship, to worship together, and grow to this place where we are of one mind in the essentials of the Lord's Word. And in other words, we must start with this framework and work toward this unity of mind. Be ye of one mind. It's a process. And we want to grow. We want to grow together. We want to understand one another, always seeking to be faithful to God's Word. Now, here comes the application. Are we doing that? Are we doing that? If we form an absolute rigid opinion in everything, there's no room for growth. Uh, once the apple is completely ripe, there's no room for growth anymore. But if you're a growing Christian, then there will be a developing that unity, that oneness in a biblical Christian setting. And lastly on this heading, Christianity is, is never a mindless religion. It's never mindless. You just don't follow your feelings. You want to have the mind of God. Now, the, third, uh, the second uh, command that is given to us here in 1 Peter 3, 8, be ye all of one mind. Then he says, having compassion one of another. We are called to unity of mind. We're called to unity of feelings. Compassion has to do with our feelings one for another. It really could be rendered having the same feelings. This really is the result and the effect of unity of mind. And this is the feelings we develop uh, through a work of God's Spirit within our hearts. And when God is teaching us and guiding us, uh, then we're going to respond to certain things. The things that we love will be united in that. We'll have the same devotion to the name of the Lord, to His Word, to purity, to morality, to clean living, clean words. We'll delight in those things. But when it comes to the world, there will be a like hatred and a detestation for the lie and unfaithfulness and those things that deny God. But then we, we are really growing now, not only with our mental understanding of truth, but in our responses. And we begin to respond the same way. And this is the power of a Christian ministry. And when people regularly, faithfully come together under the preaching of God's Word, this growth, this oneness, this unity of mind and feeling begins to develop. Now, of course, you have to be here to uh, know that and enjoy that. You can't do this electronically. 
And if you're listening in by webcast tonight, it's much better to be here, much better to be with God's people. And then there is that mutual growing. And I fear that with all our electronic means that there is a, a tendency to almost hive off, be a little aloof, and protect your own turf, as it were. But here is this command, be of one mind, having compassion one of another. This is about a caring, a genuine caring spirit that ought to be growing in the hearts of God's people, in life's burdens, in the trials and afflictions that come upon God's people, uh, we're called to be compassionate one of another. James 5 talks about our sicknesses, confessing our faults one another, praying one for another. If any man be sick, let him pray, let him call for the elders of the church, let them pray over him, and so on. There, there is the corporate uniting of the church and the burden in the uh, illnesses of God's people. And James 5 also alludes to our faults. We're to confess one to another and pray one for another. Now, that's not priestcraft. That's not going into a confessional box and asking the priest to forgive your sins. That is coming and acknowledging, I need help. I'm weak. I'm tempted. I need God's grace. Will you pray with me? And that is the entering into the burden and the needs of God's people. In Romans 12, 15, we are called upon to weep one with those that weep and rejoice with those that rejoice. And this is the command to have compassion one with another. This word compassion has two ideas. It means group and passion, feeling. United feelings. Now, when you are burdened, weeping, reduced to tears, we can weep with you. When you rejoice, we can rejoice with you. This is the genuine caring spirit of God's people in the Christian church. Now, this is all the more important in a hostile world because this is our witness. This is our profession before the world that doesn't understand the gospel and refuses to listen to the gospel. And when we exercise this godly participation of caring and entering into the burdens of our fellow Christians, and we become an encouragement and a helper to those in time of need, then others say, hey, there's something to this. This is not just empty words. This is reality. This is Christian. This broadcast comes to you today from the Free Presbyterian Church in Cloverdale, located at 187 Avenue, Surrey, at the corner of 188th Street and 58th Avenue. On our website you can find gospel articles, links to our sermons and our gospel booklet called A New Beginning. There you can find a link to our Sunday services 
that are broadcast online. For all this information, please go to our website at cloverdealfpc.ca. You're warmly invited to attend any of our Sunday services at 10.30am and 6pm to meet with us as we worship God and to hear the preaching of his precious word. We also meet for Bible study and prayer at 7.30pm every Wednesday evening. Our Sunday School for Children and Adult Bible Class meet every Lord's Day from September to June at 9.30am. You can contact us using our office number which is 604-576-1091. Alternatively, you can email me at pastor.cloverdealfpc at gmail.com. Again, for all this information, please go to our website at cloverdealfpc.ca. Our burden is that you will hear and understand the gospel that will lead you to know the Lord Jesus Christ and his great salvation. And this is Pastor Andrew Fitton. Thank you for listening today and be sure to listen Monday to Friday at 5 a.m. and 5 p.m. and on Sundays at 9.30 a.m. on this station for our full or church service as we worship the Lord through the ministry of his word.